Hey, Keith, how's it going, man? Good, how are you? Fine, uh, we cracked up the first time, so I, tr- I kept trying again, so let's get started. All right, man, let's go after it. Yeah, so we got a lot to talk about today, and hello, everyone. Welcome to the uh, new, new episode of the uh, Loro Antonio Sports Talk Podcast Show. I'm your host, Loro Antonio, and Keith, is, Keith Jacobs is back with me to talk about some MLB and NFL and NBA-related news today. And for the MLB show, we're going to preview what's in store for the Philadelphia Phillies and the Miami Marlins, along with, in the NFL segment, preview the, the uh, Cleveland Browns and Cincinnati Bengals offseason, along with a full-on recap of the Combine, and then the NBA pre- preview tonight's Lakers game against the Denver Nuggets. So first off, let's start off with the reaction to Bryce Harper signing with the Phillies. And you and I were both spot on right on that, man. Oh yeah, no. I, me, and you both agreed that that was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Um, dollars. The only I, I wasn't necessarily surprised at the size of the deal. Um, you know, I figured that his deal was going to end up beating Giancarlo Stanton's. Um, what I was really surprised about is the fact that it's a 13-year deal with no opt-outs. Um, that was that was pretty surprising to me. I thought we would see maybe a three, four-year opt-out somewhere in there, but um, you don't have it. So what that pretty much tells me is that Harper is is dedicated to this team for the next you know for the next thirteen years. Now I I can't say that I feel that Harper's going to be in Philadelphia for all thirteen of those years. Um, that's just my personal opinion, but if he's there for eight, maybe 10 and, you know, they're able to win a couple of world series out of it, then it's certainly a a tremendous deal for both sides. It is a, it is a tremendous deal for both sides, but another, but also before we preview the Phillies and Marlins 2019 seasons, some breaking news to report. Um, one of them is that miles Nicholas, we forgot to mention him. He signed a contract extension with the Cardinals and also the Royals suffered a big blow to their offense and their lineup and presence in Salvi Perez and, and being out with TJ surgery. So let's start with the Salvi Perez injury. Do you think that this Royals team is not the same without him? Well, I mean, that that's, you know, even though I know that this is a Royals team, that's not going to be doing much anyway. Um, you know, losing a guy like that and Salvi Perez, who, you know, does multiple things for you. He's a leader. He's a big presence in your lineup, but he's also, uh, you know, one of the best catchers in the game as far as being able to handle a staff. He's got one of the best arms in the league all around. Great blocking, great framing. Um, you know, it's a very, very big loss for them because he's a very he's a huge centerpiece of that team. Um, you know, that, that presence in their lineup and on the field, and especially in, you know, for their pitching staff, that's certainly going to be missed. And, um, you know, you, you very rarely hear about a lot of catchers getting Tommy John surgery. The last one I can remember was Matt Wieters about five years ago. Um, but certainly, uh, shocking news and a, a very, very big loss for the Royals. It is such a big blow to the Royals and, and all that. So, so I think that was I think the Royals are going to be a different team without Salvi Perez. And uh, when it comes to managers on the hot seat, Ned Yost is definitely on the hot seat heading into the season. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, you know, obviously he hasn't really he's not really being dealt a, a great hand this year as as far as the makeup of that roster. I think we all understand that they're in rebuild mode. Um, you know, having gotten you know letting um. Guys like Hosmer and Moustakis and, and Lorenzo Kango, who were, you know, a big foundation of their success when they uh, got to the World Series a couple of times. And, um, you know, I, I think this, if I had to guess, I would say this is probably Ned, Ned Yost's last year 
um, as the Kansas City Royals manager. I just think it's important for them in their rebuild uh, to get a new direction, get a new voice in there, get a guy who, um, you know, maybe is is a little bit more privy to, um, you know, developing the younger guys as opposed to I look at a guy like a Ned Yost who um, is a manager that you can put in on a winning ball club. And right now this is not a winning ball club, and I, I feel like that this is probably going to be his last year as they transition to bringing in a new, um, you know, younger and revived culture in that Royals locker room. And then another manager that I'm going to mention who's on the hot seat heading into the season is Scott Service of the Mariners. I, I would have to agree with you there, 100%. Um, you know, even with the talent that they had last year, really just just couldn't get it done. And, um, you know, obviously there's a couple of things that can contribute to that. Um, you know, obviously it didn't help that uh, they had a – you know, Robinson Cano missing from their lineup for 80 games. Obviously, we know about the decline of Felix Hernandez. It's been happening for years now. Um, but look, this is going to be a really big challenge for him. No Cano, no James Paxton at the head of that rotation, no Edwin Diaz at the back end of that bullpen, no Gene Segura at shortstop, no Nelson Cruz in that lineup. So it's a completely different team for him now. And, you know, he's going to be – it, that division has just been – it's going to be better, I, I think, this year all around. Obviously, we know about the Astros. Uh, we, we're we pretty much assuming that the A's are going to be able to maintain their success. And like I mentioned on last week's show, that Angels team is going to be pretty good. That's an 85-win ball club right there. That They're no joke uh, over in Los Angeles. So it, it's going to be a lot tougher um, for them. Uh, I think they're probably going to end up being somewhere around a fourth-place fourth team this year. Um, and I, I would have to assume that Cervase would be on the hot seat because of it. Yeah, like like I've emailed you next week for our next Wednesday's game plan. We're going to talk about the the entire American League West when we jump into the American League next week. So we'll hold that off for now. So uh, tell me your reactions since we didn't talk about this last week about the Mike Miles Mikolas extension with the Cardinals. Mikolas is a guy that went you know really turned some heads um, when he came back from Japan. He you know went over to Japan for a few years uh, in in 2015. Kind of worked on his stuff. Uh, you know, got him much better. And, you know, he, he gets paid for it with a $68 million deal. He's become an anchor on that team, a guy that can go deep into games. Um, you know, he's found velocity on his fastball. Um, and, you know, the one thing that they teach you over there in Japan um, is, is to really not only have confidence, but have great, um, you know, mind, have a great presence of mind of, of using your breaking ball more, especially early in the count, pitching backwards. That's what they teach you to, to have early trust and counts with your curveball. The guy who really benefited from that, you know, th- this may be a name that gets lost in a lot of people's minds, but Colby Lewis, um, you know, I can remember when the, uh, the Texas Rangers were, you know, lighting up the American League in the early, you know, in, in 2010, 2012, 13, 14. Um, you know, Colby Lewis was a guy when, you know, aside from Cliff Lee for that one year, he was pretty much the head of that rotation. And he went over to Japan. He learned how to pitch backwards, learned how to gain more trust in his breaking ball, learned to get more feel in it, learned to get more feel in his changeup. And, you know, Michaelis has clearly benefited from that as well. He has, but now that being said, let's dive into our, uh, to our, uh, to our, to our continued talks of the all 30 MLB season previews for the 2019 season. Our first stop is the Miami Marlins. Really, I think they got some good veteran help, like getting Sergio Romo to help compliment Drew Stankenrider, getting Neil Walker to play first base, 
and then Curtis Granderson for just a good veteran presence for this young Marlins team. Yeah, really good guys to sign. Um, you know, you, you love bringing in guys like Walker and Granderson who, um, you know, are and, and Romo, who are guys that have, have deep playoff experience. Obviously, Romo is a guy that's won a World Series, uh, a couple of World Series with the San Francisco Giants in the past. He was a big-time closer. Um, you know, Granderson was a guy that – for a good period of time with the Yankees and then for a couple seasons with my Mets uh, was a guy who, you know, can compete on an MVP level. He's got pop. Um, you know, he's competed on an extremely high level. Same thing with Neil Walker, big time switch hitter. Um, you know, he's probably going to end up playing first base for them this year. And a guy that, you know, those are three guys that you love to bring in for a young team like that to kind of help with the transition for these guys as they get up in the big leagues. Um, I think a guy that, and the guy who, as we talk about our breakout candidates, a guy who I think is going to be a big breakout candidate for them is Lewis Brinson in center field. I think Curtis Granderson is going to be an absolutely tremendous asset um, for Lewis Brinson and his growth as he continues to, uh, you know, mold himself into that high level player that a lot of people thought that he could be when he was in the Brewers organization. Yeah. I think that I think having a guy like Granderson would really help the development of Brinson and then really losing Real Muto is no joke. We'll get to Real Muto and the Phillies in just a minute. But Jorge Arfalo, you think he's going to bring a presence to that lineup for the for the Marlins? I think he's certainly going to help behind the plate. Uh, big arm, uh, certainly a guy that has the ability to you know play defensively. Um, for me, you know, watching him over the last couple of years, he's a guy that's got power potential. Uh, certainly with his size, his strength. Um, you know, obviously he's going to be a little bit more challenged to provide that power in, in Marlins Park. Um, but, you know, I, I think that if he's able to grow into his swing more, kind of, you know, rein in an approach of, you know, gap to gap approach, especially in Miami with the fact that not only are those gaps big, but those fences are big. So you can't have a giant swing. Um, you know, you have to be able to rein it in, kind of think gap to gap, you know, just let the, the velocity of the pitch kind of work. Um, the power off the bat for you. If he can rein in that approach, I certainly think that he's a guy from the catching position that can give you 20, 25 home runs um, while providing some pretty solid defense behind the plate. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to guys like in the pitching side, since adding Romo is a good compliment to that bullpen, Drew Stinkenrider, I think is going to be an elite closer for the Marlins. And who, and if he gets his stuff right, watch out for Jose Urina. Jose Urina is a guy that I, I think has tremendous upside. Um, you know, pretty smooth delivery, a little quirky, um, you know, quick arm guy that can get it up in the high 90s, a hundred good slider. Um, a guy for me, you talk about that bullpen. I like Drew. I like Drew Steckenridge a lot. I think he's sticking rider a lot. I think he's a guy that's going to develop into a nice closer. Um, but a guy for me also that's going to, I think, can develop into a tremendous side uh, setup guy, excuse me. Uh, Tavon Guerrero, uh, you know, hard throwing right hander, high, you know, high 90s, 100 mile an hour guy. Um, you know, they, they have some arms, uh, certainly, uh, it, you know, it, at the big league level. Obviously, they have more guys uh, down in the minor leagues, you know, with the likes of a Sixto Sanchez, uh, you know, a Tyler Kolek that came out of the draft a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he's obviously a year, a year and a half, two years off of Tommy John surgery. Now he'll be developing. Um, you know, Derek G it's a weird direction that Derek Jeter put in, put him in, um, you know, kind of reminiscent of those, uh, you know, world championship Marlins teams where the year after they, they just kind of blow everything up, um, which is pretty much what Derek Jeter kind of did. But, you know, he certainly has some nice talent in return, uh, with the likes of Brinson, uh, you know, Alfaro, 
Um, I, I really like JT Riddle at shortstop. Uh, they have, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, Sanchez and Kolick down in the minor league system. Um, you know, they just need to continue to transition to get those good pieces. Yeah, and then talk about veteran guys like Dan Strelly, Wang Yi Chen, Trevor Richards has the potential. And uh, really, I think how Donnie Baseball is going to put this rotation, I think Jose Orina is going to most likely be the opening day starter. Yeah, I think he's probably going to be the opening day starter as well. So my rotation for me uh, for the Miami Marlins is Urania. Um, Dan Straley is the number two. Wei Yin Chen is the number three. Uh, Trevor Richards is the number four. And I could potentially see them having maybe uh, maybe an Adam Conley uh, at the number five. Uh, also, maybe Sandy Alcantara, a uh, young 23-year-old arm, could make a, certainly make a bid uh, for that number five spot as well. I think Sandy Alcantara. Altrada, I think, will make a huge impact in this rotation. 23 years old, he's going to be an ace for this team. I think he'll eventually grow into one, absolutely. Um, you know, he fits in really well as the number five. Uh, you mentioned Trevor Richards. I like his stuff a lot. I really do, I, especially his off-speed stuff. He's got arguably one of the best change-ups that I've seen out of a lot of young guys that have come up uh, over the last couple of years. Really good movement, good depth to it. Almost kind of looks like a screwball. Um, you know, they, it, it, along with, you know, those two guys, along with Urania can certainly develop into a nice one, two, three punch. And then obviously you have those two guys, uh, the two veteran guys, Wei and Chen and Dan Straley that have been there before can shoulder innings and really mentor those three guys as they take that next step. Yeah. I think now the Marlins, since, since they traded away Stanton, Ozuna, Yelich, they're still going to be the worst team in baseball this year, along with the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, they absolutely will. But I, I you know, I, I got to tell you, the one I love, you know, we've been talking about these veterans a lot with this team. I, I absolutely love it. I really do. You know, because it's it's not only good for the players, you know, the ability to, you know, pick the brains of these veteran guys that have done it before. You know, they can help you as far as, you know, your obviously your play on the field goes, but your work ethic, your day to day preparation, you know, how to take care of your body. But, I mean, it's good for the fans, too, because you bring in some names. You know, you bring in Granderson, Walker, guys that, you know, have done it at a high level. They performed. Um, obviously, they've been with the New York Mets, so there's some, some uh, familiarity uh, on the part of Marlins fans. You bring in guys. Those are guys that you can come in as Marlins fans, and you can see and not only have some familiarity, but know that those guys can give you some production. They can, uh, you know, provide some pop for this team and, and, you know, kind of give it some excitement to what, you know, obviously little excitement that you and I think that they're probably going to have. Oh, absolutely. So when it comes to breakout players for the Miami Marlins, I think Lewis Grinson's going to be a breakout player along with a guy that I think is going to continue to get better as Brian Anderson. I do like Brian Anderson as well. I have him hitting cleanup actually in my lineup, uh, the projected lineup for the Miami Marlins. Um, I, I think he's a guy that's going to, uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a young Logan Morrison uh, when they kind of, you know, when he came up with that team, he had a, you know, kind of, he's a, a big body dude that I think can really only grow into his power swing. And then obviously now you're seeing Morrison have that ability to have a 30 home run type of season uh, that he had with uh, the Tampa Bay Rays not too long ago. Um, he profiles as a guy that, you know, as he continues to grow and kind of just sharpen up his swing, sharpen up that swing path. He'll be able to grow into his power. Uh, Brinson is an all-around athlete, great speed, athleticism, good arm, um, you know, really, really nice bat, uh, showed a lot of potential in the minor leagues with the Brewers, was a high-end prospect. 
Um, I think as he continues to get more uh, playing time on the field, he's going to turn into a nice two-way player for the Miami Marlins to build around. Absolutely. So uh, my lineup for the Marlins is goes like this. I have uh, Starlin Castro leading off, then Curtis Granderson hitting second, then Martin Prado hitting third and playing third base, and then I have Brian Anderson batting cleanup and playing right field, then Neil Walker hitting fifth, Jorge Arflalo hitting sixth, then JT Riddle hitting seventh, and then Luis Brinson hitting eighth. I have something pretty similar to that. Um, I switched the top two guys in your, uh, for me. So I have Granderson leading off and Castro batting second. Um, I also switched uh, Walker and Prado. So I have Walker hit, excuse me, Walker hitting third um, and Prado hitting fifth. Anderson hitting fourth, just like you. And then the bottom of our order is exactly the same with our uh, with uh, Alfaro at six, JT Riddle at seven, and Lewis Brinson at eight. Yeah, yeah, I. I... Ours is pretty similar but different. But I don't think when it comes to managers on the hot seat, I don't put Don Mattingly on the hot seat for this one because the Marlins are rebuilding, and I think Mattingly and Jeter are going to continue their working relationship. No, I agree with you 100%. I I think that this is really more about – this, to me, kind of profiles in the same way. Um, I I take a look at this as like a Philadelphia 76ers situation, what they did with Brett Brown. You know, you you bring in in Brett Brown, and and you know that it's going to be – you know that it's going to be rocky for a few years. And I think that they understand that completely with Don Mattingly. You know, he's a good manager. He's a guy that's won on a high level. Obviously, you know that being a Dodgers fan. Um, and, you know, I, I think right now the, the objective is pretty much just to continue the young, you know, the growth of the young fan base and, you know, for Mattingly to continue to build that culture. And eventually they'll get where they want to be. They will get to where they want to be. But this is like the situation that uh... – this is like the 76ers kind of thing where the Marlins are at. But no need for – I don't think Mattingly is going to be on the hot seat for this one. I think who's more on the hot seat is uh, Ned, Ned Yost and uh, Scott Service. Yeah, I, I would put them definitely on the hot seat, absolutely. Mattingly, let's give it a couple of years. Let's see how these guys grow and, and you know, uh, let's see what kind of talent they can acquire. Obviously, you know, I, I think another advantage of having these veteran guys is if you – you know, if you can get a good – if you can get a good first half out of guys like Romo, uh, Walker, Granderson, you, you could even use them as trade bait if you really wanted to, to get a couple of nice young players out of it. Now, you're not going to get, obviously, you know, uh, a team's top prospect by any stretch of the imagination, but you, you can get a couple of nice young players to continue to stockpile minor league depth, um, you know, to, to continue your process of getting uh, young players to the big leagues. Yeah. That, that's for sure. I, I, you got you, you got a you got a good point there about trading Walker and Granison to playoff teams so that the Marlins could continue to load up their minor league farm system. Yeah, and that's and that's incredibly important. And you know, like I said, you're not you're not going to get a high end prospect. Like you, you know, you're obviously not going to be able to to trade a you know Granderson to uh, let, let's just use. Let's just use the Padres for example. You're not going to trade Curtis Granderson and and get a guy like Luis Urias back in the deal but obviously you're going to be able to get some nice young players that you can continue to stockpile you know i i mentioned granderson and walker you can even do the same thing with guys like dan straley and way and chen if you want to you know to make room for for more of the young guys to move up into the rotation especially as you get later in the year to kind of get their feet wet at the t- uh at the at the major league level yeah you got a good point there now now that being said let's talk about the team that could make could could give the Braves their run for their money in the NL East, and that is the Philadelphia Phillies. 
the Phillies finally got their man that we, we all knew they were going to get pretty much, and that's Bryce Harper. Um, and that really just that, – that solidifies this as being a, just a deadly lineup in the middle, you know, with Harper, Hoskins, and Real Muto. Those are three really, really solid hitters all around. Um, one of my favorite acquisitions for them is Gene Segura at the shortstop position. He's a dude that can just flat-out rake, uh, you know, he, and he's going to love it in that ballpark too. Because they got, you know, they got, you know, stretched out lines, not a whole lot of foul territory over there in Philadelphia. And obviously it's, you know, especially the case to right field, it's, it's a pretty, pretty friendly hitters ballpark. Um, you know, they, I, I think there's a couple of guys, you know, there's, I, I, you know, listen, I, I still think, and I think you would agree with this. I think they need to go out and get one more starter or a bullpen guy. I, you know, me and you have talked about this multiple times. I would love to see them get Craig Kimbrell. I would love to see them get a Dallas Keuchel. I think they need one of those two at the very minimum to continue to show that they're ready to compete. But as it stands right now, this is still a really, really good roster that I think has a shot of winning this division. Yeah, they have a very good shot at it. But I think Craig Kimbrell, I think Craig Kimbrell will end up being a uh, Philly or a Washington National. Mm. And I, you know, I, I think it's going to end up having to be much to his dismay on a two-year deal. I wouldn't even really be surprised um, if Kimbrell were maybe to take a one-year deal just to kind of show that, you know, his stock is still really, really high, kind of prove to teams that, you know, he, he's able to go through a full season, maybe get that walk rate down, kind of go back to that consistent high level so that way next year on the market he can maybe garner a three-, four-year deal. But I think the Phillies are a really huge possibility, and I would certainly – go after him if I'm the Philadelphia Phillies because right now back end of the bullpen it's it's really Sir Anthony Dominguez who has very limited closing experience from last year and David Robertson who is a guy that has closed before obviously for the Chicago White Sox and for a little you know a, a little bit earlier in his career with the Yankees um, but he's not a guy for me that I would fully trust over a full season as a closer um, so I would go out and get him rotational depth wise. I think Keuchel fits in with this team perfectly, um, you know, because they, they are all, all five of their starters right now, Nola, Arietta, Velasquez, Pavetta and Eflin. They're all right-handed. They're all right-handed starters. So you need that one lefty guy in that rotation to kind of give you that, uh, you know, different look every fifth day. Yeah, I could agree with that. But with speaking of Dallas Keuchel, I, I still project Dallas Keuchel returning to the Houston Astros. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think he'll be going away from the Astros, but at the same time, if I'm if I'm Philadelphia, I'm making a good push for this guy at the very least, you know, because like I mentioned, they're pretty much all of their options for their rotation, uh, their first six main options for their rotation are right-handed. So you need that you need that other look. Plus, Keuchel is a really really nice number two or number three. Uh, on a team like that that can you know provide Aaron Nola with some comfort going throughout that rotation. You got Arietta too. Arietta has put pressure off of, of uh, Aaron Nola. But when it comes to the Phillies, if here's the thing, if they don't, if they don't keep, get Kimbrel, I expect the Phillies to give the closing job to Sir Anthony Dominguez. I do too. Um, I, I think that they, you know, in the limited amount of time that he had as a closer last year, he did a really, really nice job. Obviously, he's got tremendous stuff for it, and you know. The, the setup role is really the, the role that I, I think Robertson is pretty much tailored for, um, you know, because uh, that's really been where he has shined uh, in his career with the New York Yankees. And I, I think he provides that nice experienced buffer 
uh, in the eighth inning to Dominguez. Plus, the stuff is not nearly as dynamic as Dominguez, which I think plays better in the ninth inning. You know, in in the eighth inning, you're you know, I, I like to have obviously you want to have two guys at the back end with explosive stuff. But I think if I had to give you kind of a secondary eighth inning guy, you know, he would be a guy like, you know, like uh, David Robertson, nice cutter, good breaking ball, dude that can spot up. He's consistent in the strike zone, you know, uh, fields his position pretty well. Um, you know, I, I like him more so as a setup man than I do as a closer because Dominguez's stuff is just too good uh, to not put in the ninth inning. Yeah, I think well, if, if, uh, how I have it this way. If Kimbrell is not a Philly, it's going to be Sir Anthony Dominguez is the closer with David Robertson as the eighth inning guy. And then the seventh inning guy is Pat Nishik. With Kimbrell, it'll be Kimbrell the closer. Sir Anth- uh, David Robertson is the setup man. And then Sir Anthony Dominguez is the se- seventh inning man. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, you, you talk about Pat Nishak. I think he's a tremendous weapon as well. Uh, they have Hector Neris, who I, if he can have a bounce back seat, if he can continue to, uh, you know, kind of build on that second half he had last year, he started off as the closer and was just dreadful. And then later on in the year, he sort of found his splitter again and, you know, kind of got back to his success. Um, he, he's kind of a streaky guy for me. Um, but you know, when he's, when, when he has his stuff and he finds his splitter, he certainly got that, certainly got the stuff. Um, Tommy Hunter is a guy with big time stuff on the right side that they signed kind of a low key deal. He has some closing experience back end of the bullpen experience. He could be a really, really nice guy for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the Phillies are going to go with the closer. And I think, uh, Hector Neris is not built to be a closer. Like I said, I saw, I saw a game when he pitched against the Dodgers and they hit four home. There was that four Homer game that, that Turner Bellinger and Puig hit off of Hector Neris. And I was like, that's who the Dodgers like to like, like when the Phillies, when the Phillies play the Dodgers, that's who they like to see pitch Hector Neris. Yeah. He's like, I said, he's very, very streaky. His stuff is not always sustainable. And the problem is, is that he can have long stretches where, you know, his best out pitch is splitter. He just doesn't have any feel for it. He has long stretches where that splitter is just flattened up in the zone and he becomes incredibly, incredibly hittable because his fastball, he's got some good velocity on it, but the success of his fastball is predicated on, you know, him being able to spot up that fastball low at the knees and then place that splitter started at the knees and then dive it off toward the back part of the plate and dive it off toward the, uh, you know, toward the dirt. And that's really kind of where he makes his living. But when he is, when he does not have any feel for his splitter, he becomes incredibly hittable. And, and I hate to say it, but almost useless. So you pretty much just have to kind of hope and pray that he's having a long stretch where he's got a good feel for that splitter. Yeah, so so you agree with my two options who the Phillies closer would be. It's either going to be Sir Anthony Dominguez or Craig Kimbrell. I do agree. I, I do agree and I, I think that Kimbrell should be a high priority for the Phillies. Yeah, and I don't and I and I don't think the Phillies will get Keiko. I think Keiko's going to go back to the Astros. I agree with you, but I, I don't count the Phillies out in that discussion just because they really, really, like I said, they really need a left-handed starter. And certainly Keiko is a guy that can fill that role for them. He could balance that, but I think what's in the what I think what's in the Phillies' mind. I think they really like their depth at all right-handed starters because Aaron Nola throws hard, Jake Arrieta throws very hard, Nick Pavetta is going to be an ace. Zach Eflin's just hit and miss, but Vince Velasquez is the guy if he could, could if he could get his uh, act together. Yeah, Vince Velasquez is a guy that I've been waiting for you know for that ceiling to hit because he's certainly got the stuff, but you know for me he just. 
he kind of he's just way too inconsistent with his stuff. He doesn't pitch up to the caliber that his stuff has. But I, I just think, to your point, I, I think it's important always to have that you know lefty buffer in that rotation, give other guys looks, because it, and especially later in the season, and if this team were to make it to the playoffs, if I can plan as a manager around the fact that I'm going to see the same look as far as left or right-handed is concerned, if I'm going to see the same look early on in the game for the first five, six, seven innings, I can plan around that as far as this stuff goes. You talk about NOLA. Who has the ability, you know, who, who is a guy that can take that, you know, backdoor two seamer the other way to right field? Who's the guy that has the ability to stay in there on that breaking ball, that change up, good eye at the plate, can read spin well? You know, you take, you take those things into account when you talk about arm slot because when you're taking a look at two different arm slots, what's interesting about lefties is that all lefties, whether it's prominent or not, their fastball always has natural tail because of the way that the ball just kind of comes out of their hand with their pronation and the arm slots of a lot of these lefties, the way the ball rolls off of their hand, it has natural tail. So you can, you know, you can kind of game plan around, you know, guys with, you know, according to the arm slot that they have and according to the movement that they have on their pitches and the look that they give you as far as arm slot is concerned, whether you have a predominant amount of guys who from the right side are over the top three-quarter sidearm, whatever the case may be. You can plan a lineup around guys like that who can see the ball better out of certain arm slots, read, spin, things like that. And also just guys, you, you, can, you can look at matchups. Who hits well uh, against those particular guys? Because you know, you know, obviously, if you get a lefty, you're going to take certain guys out of the lineup. Like, for example, if I'm playing against the – let's just say the New York Mets, for example, for whatever reason, we're playing against the Philadelphia Phillies. It's game 163 uh, of the season, and they're fighting for the division. This is just a hypothetical. I'm just throwing this out there. If I'm the, Phil, if I'm the New York Mets and I have Dallas Keuchel going on the mound, I'm taking a couple of guys out of my lineup. I'm taking Brandon Nimmo out of my lineup he's, because even though he's a really, really good hitter all around, he has not proven to me that he's good against lefties. I would, t- I, I probably wouldn't do it, but I would at least contemplate the idea of maybe taking Michael Conforto out of the lineup just because he's not great against lefties. And, you know, you can switch certain things around. But if I'm game planning against all righties, I can kind of stack the lineup differently, not only again with guys who hit that particular pitcher well, but I can play with matchups a little bit. So I just think that as far as that's concerned, you need to continue, you need to have that balance. Because guys can game plan around all righties. Guys can game plan around, um, you know, your, you know, your rotation giving you pretty much the same look. So I just think it's important for them to have that buffer. And obviously, there's good options on the market still. If you don't want to go after a, you know, a little bit more high price ticket in, in Dallas Keuchel, Gio Gonzalez is still out there on the market. But I think it's important to have that buffer as far as lefty righty goes. Yeah. So I think Aaron Nola is going to be the opening day starter for the Phillies and. Uh... When it comes to breakout players on the Philadelphia Phillies, I'm going to go with my favorite player on the Philadelphia Phillies, Reese Hoskins. Yeah, I think Hoskins is going to continue to to grow as a hitter, and he's going to have a lot of fun doing it because he's going to have Harper and Rayo Muto protecting him in the middle of that order, and it's going to make his presence in that lineup and the pitches that he is going to see you know, even, even more in his favor. He's going to have a lot of fun hitting the middle of that lineup. Um, you know, I, I think Cesar Hernandez is, is a really underrated guy who I have hitting in the eighth spot. He's a switch hitter dude who, you know, he, he can, he can hit very effectively from both sides of the plate. He's hit over 275 from both sides of the plate 
uh, over the course of his career and plays pretty solid defense. And then for me, Another breakout guy in the starting rotation, a guy who I really like, is Nick Pavetta. He's got good stuff on the right side, and I think he'll fit in really nicely as a number three starter. Yeah, along with Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta. And my favorite acquisition that the Phillies got is JT Romuto and Andrew McCutcheon. Always like Yeah, I like Yeah, Real Muto is great. It is obviously a great acquisition for them. We know that. Um, McCutcheon, I didn't really understand to begin um, just because a little bit of a bigger deal for me for a guy who has not, you know, who has clearly shown decline over the last few years. He's not a completely useless player by any stretch, don't get me wrong, but I mean, he's dropped off so far from what he was as far as his offensive ability is concerned. And, and defensively, especially, he has really dropped off so much so that in Pittsburgh, they were forced to move him to right field and put Stalling Marte in center because his defensive ability and his metrics really were just tremendous, were just horrendous. But, um, you know, I, good Good veteran acquisition and a guy who I think is gonna is gonna benefit well in that ballpark. I think he he could potentially be a twenty home run guy in that ballpark. Yeah, he could still hit the ball well and uh, and watch out for Aldubel Herrera. Still has the speed and he's one of the best center fielders in the game and one of the best fit players on the Philadelphia Phillies. He is one of the best players on the Philadelphia Phillies. He's a guy that's a high average guy. Um, frustrates the hell out of me. Um, I I would probably I, I would probably have headaches if I was Gabe Kapler over over Oduble Herrera because he just does a lot of stuff like you know he he pimps fly balls which I think is the most annoying thing um you know he'll pimp extra base hits not a great route runner in the outfield kind of gets lazy takes bad routes to the ball um just does a lot of really interesting stuff on, on the field me a lot of headaches but he's certainly a really really solid yeah hitter. so my lineup for the phillies goes like this i have segura leading off then harara hitting second then reese hoskins hitting third then bryce harper hitting fourth and then real muto hitting fifth and andrew mccutcheon hitting sixth then macal franco hitting seventh and then caesar hernandez hitting eighth we have pretty much the same lineup, except I, I had a couple of things switched around. I have Herrera leading off and Segura batting second, and I have Hoskins hitting fourth and Harper hitting third. But other than that, we have – excuse me, we have pretty yeah, much the, the same lineup. Yeah, the reason why I have Segura leading off because he's a guy that could, could get on base, and then when Herrera gets on base, you, you can have two base-stealing threats on the base pads. Yeah, they're both guys that I think have the ability to steal 20-plus bags this year. They're going to be a really, really nice combo at the top of the lineup. You know, righty-lefty who can both hit for average and hit the ball And you also said you went on a limb when we talked about this in previous episodes when it comes to the Phillies and and when it comes to manager of the year. You went on a limb and you said that that Gabe Kapler is going to be the manager of the year this year. Yeah, I think uh, when I said that, that was completely predicated on the fact that they got Bryce Harper. And now that they got Bryce Harper, I'm sticking to it. I think that Greg Ka- that Gabe Kapler, excuse me, is going to be a big player for manager of the year, if not win it. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to take this roster that has really, really nice young talent. They seem to have pretty solid chemistry. Um, and now they're coming off of a season where – you know, last year in the second half, they kind of experienced what it was like to kind of hit a wall, run out of gas, um, you know, because the first half of the season, we were all looking at the Philadelphia Phillies as a, you know, as a potential playoff threat. And then all of a sudden in the second half, everything pretty much just kind of fell off for them. Their bullpen was terrible. 
Um, Jake Arrieta, you know, had a horrendous second half and their offense really slowed down. Um, but now they're, you know, they're all in their second year together. You get a guy in Bryce Harper who's a superstar in the middle of that lineup. Real Muto is a star in the middle of that lineup. They make everybody better and they make, you know, they make this lineup deeper and much scarier. And I think that this team is going to certainly give the, the, uh, the, this um the Atlanta Braves are running absolutely like I said I I'm having a hard time who's going to win the NL East I think it's going to be between either the Braves or the Phillies yeah I agree with you um you know I I certainly me and you certainly agree that this is going to be a jam-packed division this is four teams in that division that can win 85 86 plus games um right now the actually the projected standings come out which this could be a discussion for another day, but I have a lot of problems uh, with the standings projections, particularly the fact that they think that the Cubs are actually going to finish in last place in that's, the National League Central. That's, that's just, just wrong. That's just stupid. I, I saw that the projection for them was 79 and 83 finishing at the bottom of the division. I have no, I don't know who these two teams in the National League that are going to be in the playoffs this year. I don't know who was in charge of making that list, but whoever was, they should be fired um, because they clearly don't understand baseball. But, you know, going back to the NL East, right now these are the, the projected standings. They have the Braves, Mets, Phillies, and the Nationals all winning 85-plus games. So this is going to be a really, really jam-packed, jam-packed division, a really fun division to watch. But I agree with you 100%. This is, I think this is the Braves division to Braves division to lose and the team that's going to give them the run for their money is the Philadelphia Phillies, but certainly obviously don't count out the Nationals. Yeah, the, the Nationals, Mets. I think they're They're going to be a pretty good. They're going to be a decent team, but I, you agree. You agree that you didn't like the, that somebody put the Cubs in last place. And I'm like, you know what? The, we predicted that the Cubs and Brewers are going to be, uh, being, will be making the playoffs as wildcard teams. Yeah, I, I don't really uh, – you know what the problem is is that a lot of these uh, – a lot of these projected standings are used on – you know, are, are predicated on just Sabre metrics. And, you know, look, I, I like analytics, analytics in sports. I have absolutely no problem with it. But I think that when you look at sports and you analyze sports, you got to be 80 – like 80% – I test what you see with your eyes and like 20% analytics. And from pretty much what I can gather, um, the person who made this list, I, two things. Number one, they pretty much used all analytics. And number two, they have no idea what the hell they're looking at with the Chicago Cubs. Because take a look at that roster with John Lester, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, and Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, and sit there with a straight face and try to tell me that that team's going to be That's, in last place. I just, I just, I just said it was fake news. It, it, it may as well be fake news, but if you want to go ahead and look it up, I'm, it's real. Unfortunately, it's real. I saw it this morning, and I was sitting in class looking through some stuff while you know it, b- beforehand, and um. I, I was looking at it, and I, I thought I was I, I thought somebody was messing with me. I, I thought that the screen was messing yeah, with me. Yeah, I didn't like it. It's it's ridiculous. The person the person who made that list should be fired yeah, right now. I agree. I agree with you. So, other news to talk about in baseball is Stephen Wright of the Red Sox is suspended for eighty games for violating the PED policy. 
along with a guy from the Rangers, Jose LeClerc, just got an extension. So these are two headlines right now in ML in baseball right now. Yeah, and you know we we just it, it just seems like that you know the PED thing is just never going to go away. I, I think over the last few years, with the way that they've enforced. Um, you know, PED suspensions in Major League Baseball that, you know, it's been pretty much cracked down on. Um, so this is really this is really one of the first ones that I've kind of heard of in a while as, as far as PED suspensions go, which is in, what makes it even more interesting is the fact that it's not just the fact that it's a PED suspension, but the guy who got the PED suspension is a knuckleballer. Like that's what makes it weirder. It's not like this dude Stephen Wright is 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 a is a number one starter or a closer who throws ninety five to one hundred. He's a knuckleballer. He's a finesse pitcher. What the hell does he need steroids? Maybe for? his doctor might have given him the wrong medicine. That oh, that does happen too, and I think a lot of also, um, you know, and, and this Roger Clemens was pretty famous for using it. Um, HGH is also a thing that, you know, gets caught in people's, you know, in people's systems because HGH, um, you know, improve, you know, makes recovery time faster, uh, for your muscles and for your body. So that way you're able to, you know, kind of not feel the same aches and pains over the course of, you know, uh, a week, you know, maybe you have some aches from a workout for about a day or two, and then it goes away because your recovery time speeds up, uh, on HGH. So that might have something to do with it, but. Um, that's just a little like that was just very interesting then, for me. Did you think the Rangers did the right thing in extending their closer, Jose LeClerc? I think so. Um, you know, I, I think having a guy um, 25 years old at the back end of your bullpen, you know, you want to have uh, you, you want to have kind of a building block. Um, at the back end of your bullpen with a young guy, and they certainly got that on LeClerc and a guy that I, I think has great stuff and can continue to be a really nice closer for them. Right now, it, it, the, the Rangers are in a really weird place because they have some, they have some nice players on their team uh, with LeClerc, uh, Odor, um, you know, Gallo, and, and, and Nomar Mazzara, but, uh, and Elvis Andrews, obviously. But, you know, they're kind of they're stuck in that middle ground where – they have some nice players, but at the same time, they're not really going to compete, but they're also not going to be God awful. You know, they're, they're in what I call sports purgatory where they're kind of just stuck in the middle. Um, and that's the worst place to be in, in any sport. It doesn't matter what it is. So um, I, I think this is a good start for them. You know, you get a nice guy in your pitching staff that you can certainly build around. In oh, absolutely. So when, when we do our, when we talk about the American league West next, next, next week. So my breakout play early, previews of like breakout players so like for the angels it's david fletcher for the uh for the a's it's uh it's it's chris davis for the astros i think alex bregman's gonna take his game to a whole nother level for the mariners i think uh marco gonzalez is gonna turn out to be that ace and for the rangers i see willie calhoun breaking out this year yeah, I think willie calhoun is the guy that they're gonna slide in their outfield right away move joey gallo to third base uh, first base, excuse me, full time. And he, he's going to be a really, really nice hitter for them. I've heard good things about him in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, one thing that we've always known about the Texas Rangers is, you know, they, they breed bats. So he's certainly going to step in there and be a nice and player then, for them. And then you agree with the other picks I had for like early breakout players for the American League West teams, like 
for the for the Mariners, Marco Gonzalez, who's going to turn out to be an ace. Alex Bregman's going to take his game to a whole nother level. David Fletcher on the Angels is going to turn out to be a very nice piece. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that Alex Bregman, I, I love Alex Bregman. I think Bregman's going to be a guy that's going to continue to be able to compete for that American League MVP for the net, you know, for, for years to come along with Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right about that. And, uh, and what, what about guys like David Fletcher and also Marco Gonzalez? Did you touch on them? I like Marco. I liked Marco Gonzalez a lot when he was in St. Louis. Um, I, I think Marco Gonzalez is a guy that is uh, he, he doesn't have overpowering stuff on the left side, but he can certainly become uh, a really nice pitcher. He's 27 years old. They're on an affordable contract. Not a super big guy as far as stature goes, only about six feet tall. Um, but I, I think he's certainly a guy that, um, you know, in a rotation that, you know, especially since they lost James Paxton, uh, you know, they're looking for some guys to be able to kind of, you know, solidify that rotation further. Um, as far as David Fletcher goes, nice young player, 25 years old this year, um, you know, 80 games last year with the, uh, w- with the angels up at the big league level, 275 hitter. I think that's pretty much what he profiles as. He's not going to be a real big power guy. Um, but he's going to be a guy, you know, a 280, 285, 290 hitter, um, you know, in, in your middle infield that can, you know, makes it, you know, that can play, that can really play for you. And, um, you know, I, I certainly would love to see what he would look like alongside Andrelton Simmons up the middle. Um, and obviously they're going to have Zach Kozart in that infield And then do you well. agree with other picks like for breakout candidates in the American League West teams like Alex Bregman of the Astros and also Chris Davis of the A's? I, I think I, I love those two players, but I think when I think of breakout players, I think of guys that aren't already established stars. And that's what I think of when I think of Bregman and I think of Chris Davis. Chris Davis is, and this is kind of in a hilarious way, the most consistent player in baseball because he's hit 247 each of the last three years. And he's a guy that's going to consistently hit you over 40 home runs, 100 RBIs. And Bregman, obviously, I, I think I could argue that last year was Bregman's breakout year because he took that next step into an MVP role when you, you know, obviously with that Astros team with as great as they were, he was pretty much their number one star, especially when Carlos Correa was having a down year. Um, So I could argue that, um, that me, when I, that's just what I kind of think about when I think of breakout players, I think of guys that, aren't necessarily stars yet that are looking to take that next step like Bregman did yeah, last year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll, yeah, absolutely for sure. So uh so uh, also also uh, also you think a guy like for the Oakland A's who you think is going to break out this year? Do you think Matt Olson's going to break out? Do you think Marcus Simeon's going to hit his ceiling? I I I would love Marcus Simeon to hit his ceiling. I think the main problem I have with Marcus Simeon is that he's just such a sloppy infielder. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, he's a high error guy, but he certainly has the pop in his bat at the shortstop position that you're looking for. I love Matt Olson. I think Matt Olson is one of the more underrated first basemen in the game. Big time pop uh, from the left side, a little bit of a weird swing, uh, but it certainly plays in that ballpark with good launch angle to it. Um, I think he's a guy that's going to take that next step uh, like Matt Chapman did last year for them. And I think they're going to end up having a really nice middle of the order uh, with Olsen, uh, Davis, Yeah, now that we talked about early previews of what we're going to talk about next week about the American League West teams and what's in store for them. So uh, for the Dodgers today, we're going to preview their game today against the uh, Cleveland Indians, which starts in about a couple hours from now. But really, Rich Hill's on the mound today. 
I expect him to kind of be himself and, and, and find that rhythm. And did your Mets even play today as well? Uh, the New York Mets, did they play today? I was actually at practice, so I could not tell you uh, for certain. They played yesterday. Um, they played against. They played against the Miami Marlins. They lost uh, three to one in that game. They had a couple of guys, um, you know, that that are starting guys play in that game. Brandon Nimmo uh, was a designated hitter. He got four at bats. He went zero for four. Um, Michael Conforto played in the game. He went zero for four. I'm not super worried about that stuff right now. It's early spring training. They actually play tomorrow. Um, at 105 against the Washington Yeah, it Nationals. should be good, but wait until the regular season starts when you and I preview the Dodgers and Mets opening day matchups. But when the Dodgers play the Cleveland Indians today, um, I think I think this Dodger team is is determined, but at the same time, when I looked at their lineup, and I'm like, Jock Peterson in the lineup, I'm like, you know what? He's not going to end up being in the starting lineup by the time opening day starts because because – I predict Alex Verdugo is going to start in left field and Jock Peterson is just going to be a nice piece off the bench. He's just one dimensional and I'm sick of that. Yeah, no, he's, and, and listen, a one dimensional guy, we've talked about this before. A one dimensional guy is not a bad thing to have off your bench because he's a guy that you can bring in late game situations for that pop. Um, but certainly that's not a guy that you want to have in your starting everyday outfield. Um, you talk about Rich Hill, uh, you know, I, I just want to continue to see him, like you said, I just want you want to continue to see him just develop a rhythm uh, over the course of a couple of innings, just continue to find feel um, with his pitches, get comfortable, uh, you know, with locating and, and, you know, the way the ball's coming out of his hand and everything. Um, and he's going to, he's going to be matched up against uh, Mike Clevenger as he makes his first spring start for the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. And from, from the injuries to the Dodgers, um, Russell Martin will most likely be back this weekend, and Clayton Kershaw's opening day start is likely in Jeff is mo- is in jeopardy. So if Kershaw is not ready to make that opening day start, do you think Walker Bueller will be the opening day starter for the Dodgers? Yeah, I think Walker Bueller is going to end up being the opening day starter, absolutely, and I think they're probably going to um, they're probably going to go with something along the lines of I think they'll probably make. Uh, Rich held the number two starter. They'll probably make Ryu the three um, and then pretty much go. Yo, from I there. think I would move it up. If if Kershaw's not ready, it would be Kershaw. It would be Bueller, Hunjin Ryu, uh, Hunjin Ryu, uh, Rich Hill, and then Kenna Maeda and Julio Arias. But I could flip flop those saying that if, because Arias has had a good spring. A lot of people were saying that Arias could start the year in the minors, but the way he's been pitching this spring training, it's like, you know what? Maybe there's a possibility that he's going to make the opening day roster as as a, as a, as one of the one he, of the five with Kershaw potentially missing. He certainly season. He certainly could. He certainly could if he keeps it up. But I think I I you know if I'm looking at it, I think the you know I I'm only having Julio Urias make the the opening day rotation if if Kershaw doesn't make a start. Which obviously at this point I think it seems likely uh, with with the reports that have been coming out about Kershaw's uh, you know re, um, you know comeback process, but um, I, that that's just my take on it. I think that I would probably only put Urias in the opening day rotation if Kershaw does not make. Yeah, start. if he doesn't make the if he's not if he's not able to make his uh, opening day start, then Bueller will start in Kershaw's place on opening day, and Urias just slides in and takes Kershaw's place on the rotation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I agree meant, with you. 100%. That's what I meant to say because I heard that Kershaw might not be ready for opening day. I heard his his shoulders getting a little bit better, but 
the time's running out for him to get to be ready in time for that. No, I, I think so too. And if I'm the Dodgers, I'm not pushing it uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, you just, you know, you want your ACE to kind of come back on his own pace. You don't want to rush anything because if you rush something, you can end up hurting. Yeah. Worse. That's why I think um, which would... is having a good spring and he could, if Kershaw's not ready to be in the opening day, if he's not going to make his opening day start, if his shoulder's not a hundred percent, then I do think Urias is going to slide in. Yeah. And I think if there's, I think if there's any trepidation by the Dodgers organization whatsoever, um, as far as Kershaw goes, if they are not 100% convinced that he's ready to go, then I, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even yeah, risk it. We're going to, let's wait and see how the few weeks, how the next few weeks play out in spring training. And then we'll make, we'll see if, if the team decides to put Kershaw on the injured list or not, but I'm very hopeful that he's going to make that opening day start on March 28th. Yeah, I, I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty hopeful as well uh, for for Dodger fans. Um, but again, I would not push. Yeah, because his stretch. start is in jeopardy. Let's not say right now that Bueller is going to be the opening day starter. That's not a foregone conclusion yet. But I'm saying it's possible that Walker Bueller could be the opening day starter for the Dodgers if Kershaw isn't ready, and Arias could just slide into the yeah, rotation I, if if Kershaw isn't ready as well. Yeah, I agree with that's you what 100%. I'm, that's what I'm saying here. I'm preparing for the possibility that Walker Bueller could be the opening day starter. I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, no, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion either, but certainly have that idea in your head ready and, and don't be shocked I'm, if it happens. I have the idea ready about Walker Bueller, uh, about Walker Bueller being the, the opening day starter for the Dodgers if Kershaw's left shoulder isn't right by then. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I think it's something good to have in the back of your yeah, mind. Yeah, and then so. I'm also hearing for the Mets, I heard that Jed Lowry will most likely miss opening day. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah, he is on track right now to miss opening day. Um, he has been he had a uh, he's got a problem in the back of his knee uh, that's going to need some tending to, and he's going to kind of get a bit of a late start to his work in spring training. So he's more it's it's pretty certain as of right now that he's going to be. And out I for think opening your day. opening day starter when the New York Mets begin their 2019 season on March 28th will be Jacob Degrom. Which I cannot wait to watch. I'm so excited uh, for a, another year of a guy who's just turned into one of the most dominant pitchers in Major and League Baseball. You're going to get a. No, I think Noah Syndergaard will be a comeback candidate because he's dealt with injuries like lat strains and all that. I think Noah Syndergaard is going to be one of those anchors of this rotation of the New York Mets. Definitely, and you know, you you mentioned you mentioned health. That's pretty much the the, the key for. This entire rotation, um, you know, DeGrom obviously has proven that he's got a lot of, you know, that he's able to sustain longevity. Um, Syndergaard, I, I think if he's just able to continue to maintain, um, you know, a, a good healthy body, good flexibility, you know, not get too, uh, not, not get too buffer muscled out, then he can certainly provide you 30 starts. And he's proven you know, in the past, 2016 is the, 2016 when he was an All Star as a name example that this guy can be a top five caliber guy. Um, certainly, if Zach Wheeler, as I've mentioned, can build off of Latin, you know, the second half of last year, he can be good. And if Mats can stay healthy for more than five minutes, he can be fantastic. So as well. the Mets play the Nationals on opening day, which we'll preview in the coming week. I predict the. Op- I think it's going to be a Degrom and uh, Degrom and uh, Scherzer week, game one, and I think Strasburg will go up get. Go up against Thor game two. 
And that's going to be two really, really fun games to watch. Four of the you know, four of the most dynamic pitchers in baseball uh, in DeGrom, Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, and uh, Syndergaard. Certainly must-see TV. And then now that – and who I think is going to be a rookie on the Mets this year, who I think is making the opening day rosters this year, I have no doubt about this kid that we've talked about before, Peter Alonzo. Yeah, I have no doubt about it anymore. Um, I love what I've seen out of him in spring training. Um, you know, been hearing a lot of reports about how, you know, how his work ethic has really shown uh, during spring training, getting extra time in, in the cage and, you know, really, really, you know, accommodating himself with the surroundings and accommodating himself with uh, certainly the veterans on the team. And then you take a look at his on field play, that power is going to play in, in, in city field. That, that power is going to play at any ballpark, beautiful compact swing with a lot of pop that I think is going to make a lot of noise at first base. And I'm telling you, I think Mets fans are going to love Peter Alonso. I think they're going to love Peter Alonso too. I cannot wait. We've been waiting for him for about a year now. I contended that he should have been up last year uh, in September to kind of give him a cup of coffee and give the New York Mets fans a preview. Um, but, you know, certainly to have him on the opening day roster this year is going to be yeah, tremendous. Yeah, he could be in running for Rookie of the Year, but you, you've been waiting – for Peter Alonzo, the rival in the big. I have. He's gonna de- I have. His, his major league debut will come on opening day along with Vlad Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. I absolutely do. Um, you know, I, I think, number one, the Mets would be stupid uh, not to start him at first base. Um, you know, I, I've been, you know, he, I've been reading some things that, you know, because of the, his play over the last couple of games that, you know, Dominic Smith should get more consideration. No. He's too small. No, like Peter Alonzo. He is Peter, and you know he he's proven he's proven to kind of be Pablo Sandovalish to me. You know he he has some trouble uh, with his weight. Um, you know he's been very inconsistent up at the big league level as far as his swing goes. And I I haven't really seen too many good things from him on the defensive side of the ball when I've been watching. Certainly not in the outfield. I don't want that dude to touch the outfield ever again in his life. Um, but you know, look, Peter Alonso proved to you in the minor leagues last year, they can be a 30 home run guy and he's proven it to you in spring training now. So as far as I'm concerned, there is no excuse to not have him on the big league. Yeah. Roster. It's his year to, it's his year to, to make his uh, major league debut here. So my final MLB thought is, uh, I'm looking forward to the season and, uh, and next week when we talk about the American league West, and then in the following week, we're going to do a two part MLB episode when we talk about the American league central and the American league East. My final MLB thought is, is something that has been talked has started to become a conversation now over the last couple of days. And that's, um, you know, everybody's calling out Bryce Harper for tampering because he said that thing about, you know, how he's going to call Mike Trout in 2020. Tampering is stupid. Tampering is very stupid. And I don't mean that it's stupid in the sense that players shouldn't do it. I mean, it's stupid in the sense that we're getting mad about it. Because let's be completely honest with ourselves. Even if it's not vocalized to the media or vocalized over social media, you're incredibly naive if you think that these players don't talk to each other anyway. Like if there are reports that came out that Mike Trout and, and Bryce Harper uh, you know, had conversations over text about possibly joining up in Philadelphia, I would not be in the slightest way surprised about it. And, you know, ta- and, and tampering is incredibly circumstantial because – it's all about the fact that these they're mad about the stars using their platform and using their power to try to recruit guys. 
you know, if, if Oduba Herrera was the one that came out and said this, nobody would bat an eye. But because Bryce Harper said it, you know, the, the whole world's going crazy. It's not tampering. Like, let me give you an example. When Draymond Green was sitting in the parking lot of game six of the NBA Finals, crying on the phone to Kevin Durant, trying to call him to uh, call him the, you know, the Golden State Warriors, nobody accused Draymond Green of tampering. And that's clearly tampering. But, you know, the whole world is the whole world's getting angry about Bryce Harper, you know, saying that he's going to recruit Mike Trout, which is not that big of a deal. Because, number one, I think Mike Trout would have gone to Philly anyway, regardless if Bryce Harper wasn't there. And number two, the Angels still have to make an offer. The Angels still have to make a push. And Bryce and, and, you know, Bryce Harper saying whatever he's going to say you know, doesn't prevent them from possibly putting an offer on the table. So that's just my yeah, opinion I, on that. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think Mike Trout will end up accepting the, uh, off the Angels offer of a 10-year extension. And, uh, and, and I also said to you that for the other injuries on the Dodgers, expect Russell Martin to be back in the lineup on Saturday because he's been dealing with a sore back. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is just early spring training, uh, you know, bumps and bruises. That really shouldn't be. And a then I also him. said I agree. I also think that uh, I also think that uh, that Mike Trout will end up ex- accepting the Angels offer. You do think he'll end up accepting the 10 year yeah, extension with I, the Angels. He loves, he loves it in SoCal. Uh, he loves it in SoCal, but that's a Philly boy. That's a Philly boy right there. I, I would be hard pressed to believe unless I heard otherwise from, you know, really, really convincing reports. I, I'd be hard pressed to believe that that guy's not coming to the reason why I say he's going to stay an angel for life is because he loves Southern California. He loves it here in Anaheim. He, he, he wants to win here. He wants to retire an angel. He loves, he loves it in Anaheim. And, and I totally understand that, but I give you a cup. I give you a couple of points. Number one, in his offseason, and I know this for a fact, in his offseason, he spends a pretty large chunk of his time uh, around my area. He spends a pretty large chunk of his time working out in the Philly area, working out in, you know, in, in southern New Jersey, living in southern New Jersey, and, and being around his family. And number two, I can understand the idea of wanting to win um, you know, in, in California with the Angels, but they haven't been able to do it over the last, um, you know, six or so years that he's been there. So I can't, and, you know, I, I feel like, and this is the same way that I felt with, you know, Bryce Harbor and the Washington Nationals, that that, that relationship kind of hit its plateau. And I think it's time, unfortunately, because he's the best player in baseball, I, I think I, I think that relationship's ultimately going to come it to an end. It may be, but I think Mike Trout has a good relationship with Billy Epler and Arte Moreno of the Angels. And I think he's going to get along with Brad Osmus, which we'll talk about next week. Yeah, I do. I, you know, me and you talked about it, certainly. I like having Brad Osmus in there um, as the new manager. I think he's going to do some nice things with that ball club. And, um, you know, I agree with you that they do have the really, really solid relationship. But, the, you know, this is the one thing I'm going to keep going back to. It's that hometown factor. This is a South Jersey Philly boy, you know, that I, I think more than anything would, would love to come back yeah, to his hometown. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we'll stay right here when we come back. Lots to talk about in the NFL, and I kind of changed my mind who's going number one in the draft, and I'll tell you that shortly.